I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you stop. like. What a stop! Chance for Ben! Oh! Oh! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up. When we finally turn it over, make I'm excited, Dev. I am very, 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 very excited. About what? Very excited. Why? Can't tell you just yet. It's going to materialise a little later in the podcast. Oh, wow. Very. I can very barely contain myself. Excited. We've refreshed. We've refreshed things a little bit. Again? Yeah. That's. Refreshment number three. Not a three. departure, not, a, not an entire departure here, but certainly a, a suite of refreshments, I think is the uh, Oh, you can really here. talk shite when you need to. Dave McIntyre, good afternoon to you. Adrian I'm excited. Barry here today. The Premier what are you excited back? about? It feels, like, it feels like forever, doesn't it? Since we were last sat around here having a... I do find it very difficult to get exercise about international football sometimes, mainly because the Premier League has gone missing for a fortnight. Hang on, hang on, hang on right there. Anybody who's a regular listener to the podcast uh, will recognise such comments as how brilliant is this international break? We get international football every day of the week for five days in a row. I just didn't get into it this time. From your good self. I didn't. The only game I saw was the Ireland-Scotland game. Was it just the shite games on? Was that the just... I'd like to know, well... Belgium-Wales would have been a really interesting yeah. game to see, but I was working, right. so I didn't get to see that. Is that not what sort of classifies as work? Well, I was otherwise engaged. I was in studio with you at the time, ah. so there wasn't a lot we could do there. Um, I didn't nor I didn't get to do what I would have done in the previous windows, which is, as you say, watch a game every night. Mm. And of course, the one game I did watch was bitterly disappointing, which maybe has left a yeah. bit of taste in the mouth, and that's why I'm you so think glad you, the Premier League's back. You think we could have won more than 4-1? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, a little bit of a bright spot, but certainly not anywhere near enough to make up for what went before it. I was listening to, we will get into the football, uh, the upcoming football in just a minute. I was listening to John Giles, was it last night? Making a, No, it wouldn't have been last night. Um, yeah, some other night this week, post the USA game, and talking about the idea that ultimately the freedom that players are allowed when it comes to friendly games, so they freeze up a little bit around the competitive matches, and there's a lot of pressure, and there's a lot of understanding of where the game plan should be, mm. and everybody's roles within that, and how they also got to deal with their opponents. And it frees them up a little bit, and then in a friendly, you're just kind of, yeah, this is all right, we can go and do this, it doesn't really matter very much. Surely we must find some sort of a way of bridging that gap. Well, Scotland seemed to bridge that gap. If no, anything, no, no, they were, they if were anything good. Scotland said their best quality for the competitive game. They were good against us. I wouldn't say they were amazing. I wouldn't say they were well, free-flowing, uh, expressive football. But they've played four games now, and in three of them they've been excellent. Yeah. Brian Kerr would tell you that there are another six competitive games into the Gordon Strachan uh, mm. grand plan and that's probably a big part of it. Which I think they're just getting better. Unfortunately, I don't see us sense. getting better and that's the biggest problem. I would suggest, in fact, not only that, that in many ways we've regressed. I was at the game in Tbilisi and I know it's not necessarily the general opinion out there, but I was very impressed with Ireland, I have to say that night, most especially in the first half. I can't remember a game where we created so many opportunities. It was, you know, <coughs> yeah, it was first a half, that was the best for, for 45 minutes of, yeah. 
a very uh, clear Maradona plan, Terrain, like yeah. like, and everybody seemed to know what they were doing. You know, second half a little less so, but again, you can't really expect that over ninety minutes. Then you know, uh, we had a Gelsenkirchen and maybe needs must on that occasion you could probably make an argument that needs must and so perhaps it wasn't really going to be all about our game plan that night and and like I mean Laurel at Hardy style we got something out of it uh, so you can make some excuses for that but then the Scotland match we quite clearly got very very clearly backwards from where we, yeah, where we, we were are, we did regress uh, the press conference ahead of the USA game on Monday mm. I thought was enlightening in that certainly 90% of it was about Roy Keane and I think that was manna from heaven for Martin O'Neill mm. because he just That's got away point. with it. Just That's got away point. with it. I would bet. I would say O'Neill wouldn't have been overly perturbed by the stories in the press on Monday, which were on the back of Keane's meltdown in mm. Port Marnock on Sunday morning, because it meant that he had to spend the press conference answering questions about Roy and didn't have to spend the press conference asking, answering questions about how bad his team were on Friday. He looks like a bothered man as well, Martin. You'll have to say he is. Clearly, sort of one of the, you know, I would you, would you call him eccentric? Would that be a stretch? He's certainly on that graph. He's he's a thinker. He has the the propensity at times to be a little bit. I don't know. Distracted is probably the word that I would that I would use. He see he appears to be distracted, um, and appears to think in the course of conversations, of interviews, and various other things that there's maybe and maybe it suits him to think it that there's a bit of an agenda against him I think every manager thinks that <laughs> that mm. the press mm. are just waiting to come after you I don't think there's any reason why the print and radio and online media and television in this country would want to go after Martin O'Neill it's only 12 months since like oh, yeah, well, look at this exactly. amazing it's, no it's, it's, it's 12 months to the week by the way we're all fans from, as well we from just their want first them to game. play well we'd like yeah. them to win games and if they can't win the games we'd like to at least see them try things yeah. in attempting to win or draw these games look it could all turn around against Poland I don't personally believe that it will because I've seen Poland and they look extremely good mm. and I don't know if Ireland have the bra- I was I asked Roy Keane on Sunday morning what do we need to do better and he said, we need to keep the ball better. And then I said, what's the key to keeping the ball? And he said, bravery while on the ball and more movement off it. And for me, that just sums it up. There was no movement off the ball mm. and there was no bravery on it. Darren Gibson, Jeff Hendrick, our fullbacks showed no bravery while on the ball. Mm. Um, no one really wanted to receive the ball when they were marked. Which brings us back full circle to the initial point of this conversation and maybe a good point to depart from it. Um yeah, that's uh, really all the Ireland chat we can muster into this thing because we do want to talk about the Premier Don't League. Don't deflate me before we start into the Premier League because it, the <coughs> yeah. best league in the we're world very, is back. Or we're so very, we're very, 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 very excited about the uh, <laughs> Premier League. Uh, I just want to tell you about what's coming up on Off the Balls Premier League coverage this weekend before we properly get into it. You're going to be hearing from people like Kenny Cunningham. Kenny's going to drop into us by miracle of technology um, from his front room on Saturday afternoon between 3 o'clock and 4 to talk to us about all the football that's ongoing at that point. And further, by the miracles of technology we'll have Graham Taylor also from his front room um, a little later after five o'clock to react to all the day's action and Ray Howden uh, he'll just be on the phone at some point after five o'clock Tomorrow's going to be great all the big teams are playing yep. Chelsea Everton Man City Arsenal Manchester United they're all in there You'll also have Dave McIntyre you'll have myself you'll have Jared Gilroy and then on Sunday, Dave, you're off to take in Hull City against Tottenham, live and exclusive from the KC Stadium. And uh, before all of that, it's Crystal Palace in Liverpool at Sellers Park. And Nathan and Kenny will be at that. So that's I've what's never been up. to Hull. 
I spent. Uh, I lived in Hull for three months. You've I said that I've before. Yes, story before. You're probably the, the only person in this country frequently who's lived in Hull for three months. When the name Hull City is mentioned, is shit and Hull twice voted the worst city in England to live in. When I, around the time I lived in it, it was. I my feeling was my recollection of it was that it had been voted. F- the the worst city in the UK for several years running, but perhaps right. they were just the two <laughs> years that I happened to be there. Yeah, look, I've, look, I'm 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 only flitting in and out. I'm yeah. I'm basing myself in Manchester Don't dither. for the Don't weekend. Don't dither, Dave. Is what I would say yeah. to you. I'll be driving in. Kick on. I'll be driving out. Chelsea against West Brom is the first game we're going to have a look at. It's at Stamford Bridge. We'll get you our trebles as well. By the way, later you've done your treble. Definitely. I have. Good yeah. Man. Um, Chelsea features of mine. I have to say it's the first home game for Chelsea since those uh, Jose Cameron that they've been playing in an empty stadium um, as they beat QPR but of course Jose can get away with these things because he's Jose Mourinho the manager uh, the fans have a bit of faith in the manager and actually in some ways it might not be the worst thing that ever happens because it might say to the fans you need to get behind the team in, I, I don't know I don't even know I don't even know how much that's worth to them perhaps well it's, it's easier to ask the fans for more when you've won games Yeah, it's very it falls on deaf ears when you've lost a game and then you turn around and say, look, we need more from the fans because then in a way the perception is that you're blaming the fans for not getting behind the team enough and that was a contributory factor in you not winning the game. Yeah. So he can say what he wants. It's his 50th game in charge since his return for his second spell and I don't think West Brom have won there since 1978. Right. And I think it's it's a long time since so they won back-to-back away games. They, they didn't did beat, beat them last, last year, of course. Oh, yeah, they did. Um, they were robbed, really. Ramirez literally hopped himself into Stephen Reid. Falling beneath Stephen Reid. Yeah. yeah, they should have won that game. And that would have been only or Mourinho's first defeat at Stamford Bridge mm. in the Premier League as Chelsea manager. Of course, that, it did happen later in the season when, when Sunderland beat them. Yeah. But I don't think there are parallels now between the two. Because Chelsea are far better and West Brom, well, aren't maybe aren't any worse off than they were when they nearly won that game. And that was one of the matches before the sacking of Steve Clark, which they probably still regret. Yeah. But West Brom, they haven't, haven't having too bad a season. But look, this is just one right, game yeah. that you really just can't envisage them taking anything from. Let's forget about such frivolous things as what the fans uh, think about and talk about the greater point about Chelsea's season and the fact that I suppose a lot of people kind of consider that have considered for a very long time uh, in the context of this season that Chelsea are the team who are going to win the league and perhaps uh, win at a canter now let's just look at United's uh, Chelsea's last five games the draw at United they beat Shrewsbury by a single goal in the League Cup they beat QPR by a single goal at home they draw 1-1 with Maribor who are a slightly above average team from Slovenia, fourth in their domestic league. Then they go a goal down, but end up beating Liverpool 2-1. Are there reasons to suggest there that, I mean, this the thing was put out there was that maybe we've, we're going to get another team of invincibles here, maybe <coughs> Chelsea are going to run away with this thing. I think people would still say, and maybe rightly so, that Chelsea are going to win the league, but perhaps that it's not going to be the runaway we all felt. Yeah, they're not as all-conquering as they were, say, in the opening six games, um, particularly because Diego Costa has been struggling with his fitness and he hasn't really been in a position to contribute as much as he was when he was scoring all of those goals. Now, he's still got nine goals in his nine games Mm. that he started for Chelsea. But when they're not playing well, they are avoiding defeat. And they should have beaten Manchester United. I mean, it was that injury time equaliser. They were good value for the win over Liverpool in the end. And I think that the 
draw against Maribor and Slovenia was just complacency. Mm. I just don't think the players really had their minds on it sufficiently. And they missed a penalty in that game as well. Let's not forget, Eden Hazard missed a penalty kick. So they probably should have won that game as well. Complacency is a pretty important factor, mind you. It is. I don't think they'll be complacent in the Premier League, though. And I can't see anything other than a pretty comfortable win this weekend. They will be tested. I can't see them going unbeaten for the entire season mainly due to maybe the sort of run of results that you've just gone through that somewhere somewhere mm. they will get beaten by somebody but it's very hard to, given that they're eight points clear of their nearest big rival in Manchester City obviously only four clear of Southampton if the Southampton run stops you could head towards Christmas with Chelsea nine ten points clear of everybody have we seen a more uh, uh, the the Invincibles doesn't feel to me to be the answer to this the Arsenal Invincibles but have we seen a more balanced team ever in the Premier League including the depth that they have so you know at times you get a very good first 11 or 12 players that just gel together but um, but, but there does seem to be another tier below I mean it, it seems as if I mean you know several players can be out injured and Mourinho has plenty of new capable players to come in and fit to his style I don't know how much depth there is in that like every team whether it's the great Kilkenny team that won four in a row you take Shefflin out of it they're a different team if you take Nemanja Matic out of that Chelsea mm. eleven, they're a different side. He's the best player in their team. Mm. He's been the best player in the Premier League this season. And they targeted certain positions in the close season. They knew they needed a creative midfielder and they got one of the best in the world. They knew they needed a defensive midfielder and they bought one of the best in the world. And they needed a striker and they bought one of the best mm. in the world. And those three players have just given them that incredibly balanced first eleven that you're talking about. Because every position now, they're incredibly strong. And I think that if those players, particularly those three that I mentioned, stay fit for the entire season, they will win the league and they'll probably go very close in the Champions League. But you take Matic out, his replacement is John Obi Mikel, who is a half the player he is, mm. if that. So let's just see how injuries treat them. They've been lucky so far, aside from Costum. Uh, probably excited. I mightn't look you, but I am. <laughs> very, very, very excited. Uh they they are among the changes, Dave. You wouldn't you won't have heard that our little interruptions that we do every t- every so often to tell us when to shut the up. Yes, that's, uh, that's, oh, that's a brand, one new, brand of the new, new entry. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm bowled over. <laughs> very, <laughs> very excited. Uh, so Chelsea to get the job done, presumably there. A few of these other games that we kind of ru- want to run through before we get into some of the big ones as well. Everton against West Ham at Goodison Park. Everton are currently tenth in the table against. Uh, you know, this free-flowing uh, West Ham style that we've seen still in the trap four. Everton, Everton, Everton. Dave, we come back to this perhaps little discussion about uh, some stuff that we touched on earlier yeah, every on. Every week, really, we talk about Everton and we kind of just wonder about Everton. Well, uh, specifically, I wonder about James McCarthy. Presumably, he's back in the team this weekend. He's good. He's ready to go, ready to break up this free-flowing uh, Allardici-style football that West Ham have been playing and all is well in the garden again. I don't know how is everything all well in the garden, Pienaar is still doubtful. Baines I mean, I mean, is doubtful. I mean, I mean for McCarthy specifically. Ah, well, look, we don't really know what the McCarthy situation mm. is. Would he and, and should he have played on Friday? Was it his decision not to play on Friday? Or was it Roberto Martinez's decision? Or was it Martin O'Neill's decision? Or it was a little bit from all three? There are suspicions out there that James McCarthy mentally did not want to play in that game mm. on Friday evening because he was worried about his hamstring. And if that's the case, it would be terribly disappointing given the efforts that, say, for example, Glenn Whelan went to to try and make himself available for that game. Um, so you could question McCarthy's commitment if that was the case or was his manager putting pressure on him, but we will never know. So Should be a good game. 
it should be a very good game. There could be a big problem for West Ham and that Diafra Sacco's doubtful. And he has been fabulous for them this season. If he plays, I think they could win it. Well, it's nice to see, but it's not exactly what Spurs need at this moment in time. That's uh, Nathan Murphy there telling us to move on to the next game. Leicester City against Sunderland. Uh, Dave, two teams battling at the wrong end. Leicester inside the relegation places. Sunderland, a couple of points free of them. Have you anything to offer on this? Sunderland, I watched them play Everton two weeks ago, the last game I did before the international break, and I was so impressed, particular by Conor Wickham. He gave Seamus Coleman as torrid a time mm. as he will get from any winger in this Premier League season. He was quick, he was athletic, he was able to put in some brilliant crosses and he's obviously very good in the air and I think that if he plays as well as he did and Fletcher played really well I think Sunderland could turn things around and actually have a solid season as opposed to the usual highs and lows what a free kick as well from Larson I think it might beat Leicester this weekend and they're in my treble that was Robbie Keane saying he's not Noel Quinn. Uh, they're in your treble. Yes. Oh, that's an interesting departure. Uh, Manchester City against Swansea at the Etihad. Uh, Jekko still out injured uh, for City there, but Vincent Company looks as if he's back. Um, Nathan Murphy would have you believe that perhaps it's not the greatest thing that could ever happen to Manchester City because he's not a massive uh, Vincent Company fan. Dave, I don't know if you've heard his Vincent Company theory. I think he's... The argument that Nathan is putting forth this season has grown some legs because company's not having his best season. Mm. I don't think he's been 100% fit for any game this Let's season. Let's be clear, I think the argument only only came up when he started having a bad season. I yeah. don't think this was mystic. Because Murphy. I think he's one of the best centre-halves yeah. there has been over the last 10 years. Like He is at his best alongside Vidic when he was at his best, John Terry at his best, those kind of players. But um, I just wonder, is he struggling due to the guys in front of him maybe aren't playing as well. Well, look, the team as a whole is not playing well. They've won one of their last six in all competitions and earlier in the season they won went on a run of one win in five games in all competitions. Mm-hmm. So if you put the two of those together, that's two wins in 11 matches and it's just not really good enough from their point of view. QPR should have beaten them. Absolutely no question. I did that game for TV and City were blessed to get away with a point that day and they were so bad against CSK in Moscow. Mm. And it's Bayern Munich in town on Tuesday night. And you wonder, will they have more than one eye on Bayern Munich and choose it? Because they know if they don't beat them, they'll, they're out of the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, like, I mean, maybe you go into that game and just accept, because, I mean, I, even as it stands, they're almost, like, almost no matter what happens now, they're almost at that point where they're out of the Champions League, no matter what happens. Do they actually flip that on its head this week and say, well, actually, maybe in the context things here... Well, then they could do with Swansea. being beaten on Tuesday night because the last thing they want to do is end up in the Europa Yeah, 100%. League. Yeah. Um, so that's a fine line. I, I don't know how you handle that. Maybe it is something that gets into your head. But if they don't have full focus on Swansea, they're going to drop some points this weekend mm. because Swansea are back in a little resurgence. Obviously started the season brilliantly with four consecutive wins, then went four games without a win and now they've come back again and they were excellent in beating Arsenal. They were very solid if unspectacular in going to Everton and taking a draw. Wilfred Boney has signed a new contract which I think is a big vote of confidence mm. in Gary Monk but it's also maybe a a solid being thrown by Wilson or Wilfred Boney to the club in that I may want to leave in the summer and I've signed a long term deal so you're going to get a big whopping transfer fee for me but all seems very rosy in the Swansea Garden at the moment their players are playing well and that's been without the likes of Routledge without Nathan Dyer who are two of their best players and like I say 
they have somewhat of a free pass now this weekend. Just like they did when they went to Chelsea, they were beaten, but they seem to play with a bit of freedom mm. and sense of abandon. I could think they can do that at the Etihad. And look, there's probably no better time to go to the Etihad now. If you're to handpick a time at yeah. a certain point of the season, Swansea might think, well, let's take it now. Yeah. Now, the international break came at a perfect time for Manchester City. Because did I'd it really? Say, That's a good question. Well, I'd say the atmosphere around the place must have been pretty rough. You know, Pellegrini's a man under pressure. They've got a couple of niggly injuries. They're clearly not playing well. The Aya Torre doesn't seem like he wants to be around at the moment. So everyone can just get the hell out of Dodge mm. for two weeks and then they come back and maybe a little it's bit of a fresh point, perspective yeah. on it. So they will have, they'd have had 10 days to go away with their respective international squads and maybe just lick their wounds and maybe that will help them get, refocus this weekend. Martin DeMichelis has been suggesting that City should not begin to deviate. Ultimately, they've had this plan of sort of attacking free-flowing two-degree football and it's been the thing that has led to a lot of success obviously over the last little while but um, as we've been discussing not so much over the last uh, yeah six games and maybe even beyond that as Dave points out Martin DeMichelis has been suggesting that City shouldn't deviate too much from that they just got to continue to play the sort of football uh, that they know you were at their the one that went over United a few weeks back yeah. what's your sense of whether Pellegrini actually needs to have a rethink about how he's playing this team obviously coping with various injuries at times as well yeah I, um, I think it may, it's more to do with personnel letting him down than the way that they're playing if Torre was giving everything to the cause as he mm. has done in previous seasons it would make the system they use actually look a lot better because presumably City can't like in what, what other way what other way yeah, are they going to play I don't really know if they have another yeah. way of playing they love, their, they love getting the fullbacks forward Sabaleta and Kolarov in particular and they can put in some really good deliveries they do have David Silva when he's fit threading everything knitting everything together he's been a huge loss when he's not on the team they're a different team because they've got no one to play between the lines when David Silva's not on the pitch mm. and he, they've been, he, he's been missing for three weeks against Manchester United they had an, an extra man they were 1-0 up they should have been 4-5-0 up and yet they could have nearly lost the game at the end there's no confidence in them whatsoever if you think the games they've led they've led in three of their four Champions League games they haven't won any of them they led against Roma they led in um, Moscow they didn't win the game. Mm. They led against. Uh, they were, and then they couldn't come back at having lost to CSKA, and they conceded late against Bayern Munich. So they've had a foothold in every game and haven't won any of them. And that's happened to the Premier League. That's as almost well more season. concerning, isn't it? That, I think that yeah, because once things start to ebb away from them in a game, they don't seem to have the wherewithal to lock it down to mm. close things up like they had over the last couple of seasons. It's hard to know where Swansea and how far Swansea can go in this game, actually. It's one of the more interesting fixtures at three o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, Boney against uh, Dean McKellis in itself might be an interesting uh, match-up to look at. In this one, we do all, I think, expect City to get it done. Though. Like tonight, maybe a new era is starting for Richard Dortmund? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's uh, Jurgen Klopp there. I really enjoy that clip, I have to say. <laughs> it's the uh, point where the reporter realises that Klopp finds his question so amusing and then decides to join in the laughing. Um, but anyway, it's the small things that amuse me, Dave. Um, <laughs> Newcastle against QPR is our next port of call at St James's Park. Uh, Newcastle's, we've just spoken about the sort of indifferent form of Manchester City and of Chelsea to a degree as well. Um, but Newcastle's form has been nothing short of miraculous um, not even old Prince Pards himself could have predicted how well they've been doing since that one they lost to Stoke at the end of September. Since then, they've taken, I think it's 13 points from a possible 15. And a win. And beaten City the in, the in the League Cup. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's very hard to find an explanation for 
such an extraordinary turnaround. Well, I tell you what, I tell you what, right? I was sitting outside thinking about what the explanation was, and I thought, well, presumably there's somebody putting their hand up here and is just starting to bang in. It's just clicked for a couple of players in this team, and I was kind of feeling maybe it might be Cisse. And I had a look, and they've had six or seven different scores over that time, which kind of which which suggests that it's more about the tactics of how Pardew's gone about it than the form of any one player necessarily. They were so bad at the back in the games that they were losing. They couldn't keep a clean sheet mm. and they weren't scoring enough at the other end to, to make up for it. And yet, they've only conceded one of the last five games. Sissoko has been extremely good and they've found the right position to play him in. He's almost given a free role now. He can either start things out wide or he can just cut inside and take up a more central position. His ability to dribble with the ball at full speed and that's the biggest problem that Manchester City had with him because they couldn't take him down he has been a huge part of it Cissé looks like he's confident again the guys they've brought in like Ayose Perez looks Perez, like yeah. he is just taken to the Premier League like a duck to water mm. he started scoring goals in every game um, I'm only going through players who are playing well but again I'm not explaining why they're suddenly playing well and therefore the, why the turnaround has been so seismic I don't know because they were so difficult to look at there was no confidence they didn't seem like a team who wanted to play for the manager yeah. and then they got the, came from behind twice at home to Hull Cissé came off the bench and got both goals or 1-0 down 2-1 down took a point they haven't been beaten since maybe that did something for them but Perez has got three in his last three Cissé looks like he's enjoying himself again because he's fully fit and he had that terrible injury the back end of last season they have players playing well but I'm repeating myself I don't know why Maybe we'll get a bit more of an indication uh, this weekend. That's Newcastle against QPR St James's Park. Stoke City against Burnley. Have you anything to offer on this, Dave? <laughs> I think Stoke will win. Burnley obviously got their first win of the season against Hull last time out two weeks ago. But Stoke have uh, quite a few good players. Now, the one thing you would say about Stoke is that just when you have a little bit of confidence in them, they seem to come unstuck. Mm. When they went to Manchester City and won, and everyone thought, oh, this Stoke team, they really know how to do things. They have a different game plan depending on the, who the opposition are. Leicester arrive in town the following week and beat them. So that could happen this weekend. Müssen alleine das Spiel gewinnen. Müssen alleine das Spiel gewinnen. Trap. Trap in his Salzburg days. Yeah. Yeah, he really lost the plot that time. Trap round. Um, the late game on Saturday. Have you anything more to say on that? I think you were sort of before Stoke you were interrupted there, Grant. Uh, Arsenal against Man United is a late game on Saturday. Olivia Giroud back from injury here. Uh, a month. It actually could be as much as six weeks uh, earlier than expected. Yeah, it's been quite he a broke recovery. his tibia. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Arsene Wenger had been talking about it during the week. It's kind of remarkable, isn't it? I mean, it was the end of August. And Wenger said, oh, he's back. You know, at one point said, oh, he was expected back early next, you know, the uh, early in the new year. And then said, oh, you know, he's three or four weeks ahead of recovery. Like, he's pretty much about six weeks ahead of recovery. It's pretty phenomenal. And he's not going to get into the team. I don't expect there's any way of manipulating the recovery from a broken leg that's, you know, by means of which you shouldn't be manipulating. Do you understand what I'm saying? You telling me that it's I don't know, I don't, his powers I, of recovery aren't all natural. No, my but that, my point is I don't I don't know that there are methods out there that would aid a recovery. Maybe a horse placenta or something. Mm. <laughs> He's done very well. I, when sure you're as good natural, looking as he means, is, maybe your body heals quicker. That might be a part of it, all right. Um, he, he, he's going to struggle, though, to get into a team where yeah. they're two, probably the two best players in the squad at the moment are the two strikers. Yeah. Was that Danny injury Welbeck that and led Sanchez. to Welbeck being their 
Of course, exactly, all in the first place. Yeah. Uh, Michael Arteta is back as well by the looks of things. Um, interesting quotes with Jack Wilshere this week telling Wenger that uh, he can play deep if needed. And Wenger's reply wasn't really all that convincing. Uh, the words just yet were were used at one point, that he wasn't ready just yet to play that role. And maybe suggest that Wenger doesn't have as much trust in uh, Jack Wilshere as he might, uh, might want to. I don't think the deep line role in midfield is Jack Wilshere's best position anyway he was mm. actually very good at times against Scotland that beautiful ball over the top for Alexei Chamberlain's goal at Celtic Park on Tuesday night and I think the closer you can get him to goal the better they, Arsenal and England need to find him in better positions in the pitch and they, it's not Jack Wilshere they need to be bringing back to try and solve the riddle that is Arsenal's implosion when they lose the ball high of the pitch and just get attacked and cut to pieces they actually just need to buy somebody decent to fulfil that role um, for example they sold Alex Song to Barcelona and then they didn't take him back on loan this time around look at the role he's playing for West Ham mm-hmm. I mean he would just sit beautifully into that Arsenal team at the moment and they I don't think they're capable of locking down a game and I don't think Manchester United have the personnel in any way shape or form to go to Arsenal and say let's keep it tight boys and then maybe hit them on the break because they don't have the players to do that either I think it's going to be a really open entertaining game Yeah the uh, two teams that have been fairly heavily blighted by injuries at various points as well and Blind a headline in uh, the BBC yesterday the BBC website Blind not out for six months which that was an interesting uh, take on things, but it seems well, we don't know how long he is out for. No, we haven't a clue. But they do have a major problems. Obviously, they're still missing Evans. They're still missing Jones. Blind is going to be out, as you say. Falcao is still out. Um, Rojo still out with the shoulder problem that he picked up. There was a dislocated finger to David de Gea. They think he'll play. A foot injury to Di Maria. They do think he'll play. It's a hard one to call this one. I wouldn't take any notice of that man. Really? No. Uh, Arsenal against Man United that's the last game then on Saturday so we'll be keeping across all those for you on Saturday afternoon uh, myself Dave Ger and Kenny as well and then on Sunday uh, your game Dave is Hull City against Tottenham uh, from the KC Stadium yourself and John Anderson will be there as you mentioned a bit earlier um, Robbie Brady uh, did pretty well left back against the USA the other day and you start, maybe start to wonder a little bit if it's a position that suits him in the longer term I don't think he did well defensively no, but this is the point. But I mean, Seamus Coleman quite frequently doesn't do all that well defensively. It's just that he's keeping the opponent so busy further up the pitch. But he is a defender, though. I, I, For my money, Seamus Coleman is better off further up the pitch, positioned further, further up the pitch. The only thing that goes against him is that he doesn't have as much room to work with. So um, you probably can't get as much value out of him. I, he's, my point is that I don't think he's a fantastic defender. No, but a lot of full-backs are better going forward than they are defenders. Glenn Johnson would be another mm. example. For, I don't think that Seamus Cohn would look go, as good attacking if it wasn't from the right fullback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <coughs> excuse me, when a fullback overlaps, it's usually forcing a two-on-one situation. Which is no reflection to, on his defensive No, exactly. It means that you can then, he has t- time to whip the ball in mm. and he's time to drop the shoulder and beat guys. Whereas if you're taking it up from a right-wing position, as we saw with Aidan McGeady on Friday night, if you're closed down in that position, there's pretty much very little you can do. He will pick. He will improve as a defender, Seamus Coleman. I don't know if Robbie Brady will because Coleman is an actual defender, but Robbie Brady's not. Mm. He's never defended in those positions. He looked caught out a couple of times badly against the United States. And I think then you're sacrificing... Robbie Brady's talent further up the pitch because he has something that we don't really have in the squad at the moment. Great delivery. He's really able to pick out a cross. He can pass the ball. He picks up good positions. I would think he'd be completely wasted. There are lack of options at left fullback. I don't think should result in Brady being considered yeah. for that position. Pos- and he's very small. Positionally at times, um, 
I wonder about him as well. I kind of watched him. I was at the yeah. I've been at a couple of competitive games. I was at the Oman game. I was at the USA game. And uh, positionally, I definitely think uh, he has. That's an area that he would need to work on. He quite frequently mm-hmm. see a lot of his teammates shouting at him to yeah. you know pick up pick up a position which he isn't currently doing, which is a bit of a worry. But obviously, just a young fellow kind of, you know, finding his feet still in the Premier League. What are you expecting from this one, David? Tottenham are probably the blandest team, are they, in the, the Premier League? Their recent records are so poor. Hull have won one in their last ten. Tottenham have won once or two in their last nine. So that's three wins between them in 19 games. Yeah. Tottenham's form of late is beyond poor. They were so tame in losing to Stoke. They lost a game to Newcastle that they never really looked up for as well. And Hull were beaten by Burnley last time. There's a little bit of pressure coming on Steve Bruce because they scored in their first six Premier League games. They've struggled to score since then. Hernandez has seen picked up an injury and he doesn't seem to be um, shooting at goal as well as he was earlier in the season. I think they need to bring a little bit of steel back in the team. David Myler hasn't started a game this season. I think this Sunday could be his first Premier League start. Although he was poor, I thought, against the United States overall. It's a very hard one to, to call, to be honest. I've never been to the KC Stadium. I'm looking forward to it. And I would hope that Tottenham will just provide something that gives their supporters a little bit of hope. They lose this weekend. Pochettino's under real pressure in my Mm. book because they are just falling so far behind the rest of the teams when it comes to Champions League places. They're already four off. They could be seven or eight off by the time the weekend is done. And it's a big game for them. really is. And Hull are only two points off the bottom three. Four points off the bottom. It's a real congested Premier League table, as we know. But... One win for Hull and eight points from the last 10 league games is relegation for him. Just uh, enough time for a quick word on our other live game on Sunday. Nathan will be at this one with Kenny Cunningham from half past one. Uh, so we'll have lots of build up to that as well. And it's Crystal Palace team just above the relegation places, only on goal difference uh, from Leicester City against Liverpool team, Dave, who haven't really themselves been all that impressive. In fact, just five points away from the relegation places. Yeah, like City, I think the international break came at a good time for Liverpool. Um, and I don't see where the improvement's coming from. Mm-hmm. All that break brought them was further bad news about Daniel Sturge. And he's going to be missing for another six weeks. They cannot score goals. The one they got against Chelsea was a deflection. How many has Balotelli scored now? Is he... He's only got one. Yeah. And that was in the um, Champions League yeah. against Ludogorets. Uh, they're going to be up against a Palace team that will have Milij Jadonak back because he was a big loss in their last game when he was suspended the Australian he's their captain and I think Palace will fancy their chances here and there'll be echoes of what happened last season with that incredible 3 all draw Liverpool cannot be high in confidence at the moment and it's so difficult to see them unlocking oppositions away from home who fancy just sitting in and catching them on the break and that's what Palace will do there's a way to play Liverpool now and so it's a way in which a lot of teams didn't approach games last season and it was Chelsea that figured out this is the way we the, the they did decisive it. game last season they did it best yeah. yeah a lot of teams would have looked at what Chelsea did and just said well right let, let's let, allow Liverpool have the ball don't allow any space to open up in which Raheem Sterling can exploit or Philippe Coutinho can exploit if you do that and you close those boys down there's no creativity there's no Luis Suarez there's no Daniel Sturridge it's very ominous at the moment for Liverpool they are enduring a really drab season and you're looking for kernels of improvement kernels for optimism can't see any at the moment yeah we spoke about the idea at Newcastle as well that uh, you know you try to look across the team and see if one player is putting their hand up to score a few goals uh, you know I think you can easily make the argument that you or I probably could have managed Liverpool to give the title a good shot last season because you'd got a guy who was just scoring for fun mm. and then when you take that out it's a much 
sterner test of Brendan Rodgers' managerial capabilities. He's, not, he's a guy who I'm kind of rapidly losing any... Um, faith in. Faith in. I'm not a Liverpool supporter, but I would have to say that the more I hear him speak, the less convinced by him I am. Well, this is the biggest test he'll ever have in his managerial career because the longer this run of form goes on, the more it would appear that his credibility was so intrinsically linked to the presence of Luis Suarez. Mm. Now, I think he deserves an awful lot of credit for the way he handled the Suarez situation. Uh, you know, the club could have sold him. Suarez could have left. They stuck, dug their heels in. They said, we're keeping him. He said, I can manage this situation. And Suarez was the best player in Europe last season in the eyes of many. But now that he's gone, it looks like they were practically a one-man team. Maybe that's taken away from Daniel Surge and what a good season he had. But they've gone three games without a win now for the second time this season. They didn't go more than two games without a win through the entire entirety of the last campaign. And they, it's one of these little troughs that they're in. And it's the second one they've been in since the season started. And I go back to the point, well, what are you looking at which will give you the feeling that it, they're going to come out of it? Mm. There's nothing. Can you see anything in the way they're playing, in the players they have on the pitch, yeah. in the way they're defending, in their inability to create goal-scoring opportunities, in the form of Balotelli. Alan Lalana has been a really disappointing addition to their that, squad. And that's, that's been so disappointing, because I was really expecting big things, because he was a team, a player who, like, like there's, there's a lot in that, I suppose, but I mean, when you look at Southampton last season, they were a team who, for large tracks, there wasn't a huge amount really expected of them, so they were a team that were kind of you know, up against it for a lot. And so that was probably a big part of the reason to why they were so good under Pochettino, that they were, you know, it was us, us against the world, I suppose, in many ways. And obviously a lot of the players that have left uh, Southampton haven't quite been able to replicate that. And certainly Pochettino has proven that he can't replicate it with the bunch he has at Tottenham. Mm. But you kind of wonder if, you know, the players like maybe Lambert to a lesser degree because, you know, he's not necessarily playing as much football, but from Lalana's point of view, why, I, I, I struggle to wonder why he's not why it's not working out for him. He's an absolutely quality player in a couple of different positions. That's something I think we could talk to Kenny in studio about tomorrow as we look ahead to the game, in particular when you're building up to the game with Kenny live at the at Selhurst Park on Sunday. Yeah. Why hasn't Adam Lalana worked out? Part of it, I think, would be that he was playing in a team with no expectation and a team that was full of confidence last season. And it's very easy to excel in that situation under those circumstances now he's in a side where there is huge expectation and there is nobody else in the team that's playing with any degree of confidence he's had a few injuries like if you think he didn't play in the first four games because he was struggling to get into the team with those injuries that he picked up in pre-season so there are a few different uh, factors in his lack of form but he's just one of about five or six guys who would be so disappointed in this season yeah we'll have a chat to Kenny and see what his uh, thoughts on all that will be in yeah, Brendan Rogers there. Guess the uh, theme tune, Dave. Um, it's a game show of some kind. Yes, it is. I don't know. Give you one more. Give you one more hit here. <laughs> deal or no deal? Yes. <laughs> Come on down. That's Too many no. Tuesday afternoons sat in front of the <laughs> tail television. Um, right. Let's get to our travels to wrap things up. I'm going for Newcastle to beat QPR. I'm going for Manchester City to get the job done against Swansea. And I'm going for Chelsea to beat West Brom. All of which that comes in at a measly 2-1. Oh, here, that's good. You're an embarrassment. Well, I might be, but, you know, the basis that I haven't managed to get one of these so far. That's well, City aren't that's a banker. Good. They're not a banker, but 
I mean, you'd, after a two to one, you'd expect three after you would. Bank. You would, you would. But that's where I'm going, Dave. I've gone for Newcastle. Sunderland away to Leicester, and Stoke at home against Burnley. That is a juicy ten to one. Wow. God, I'm kind of surprised it's that much uh, to be honest with you but uh, a couple of maybe a couple of banana skins there might explain all of that Dave, been a pleasure hanging out with you for the last Cheers. 39 minutes and 30 seconds thereabouts there and go. we'll talk to you over the weekend good luck <laughs>